You are listening to the Becoming Men podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Becoming Men podcast brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I am still your host, Ray Delanues, and this is the podcast for men on their masculine journey. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jordan Cicciotti, and we're going to be talking about how to face trials like a man so that you would be able to face all the testing, all the problems, all the trials, all the tribulations in your life and be able to come out like the man of God that you were created to be. Now, as always, I know you guys are going to love this episode, but I will tell you right now that for those of you that stick to the end, there is a story that I have yet to share with anybody and that I am now sharing for the first time here with my faithful listeners. And I hope that you guys would be able to grab from it all that you can and learn from all of my mistakes and be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Gents, let's get into this week's show. Jordan, what's going on, man? Hey, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. Good to see you, man. Dude, I was telling you before, I'm so thankful for the men that are so willing to hop on here and just say yes, right? Like I am the one who tells myself that people are going to reject me or turn me down, whatever, but like, you're just so willing to come on and support. Uh, so again, thank you for that. Thank you for coming on here. Go ahead and introduce yourself real quick and we'll hop into it, man. I got an interesting conversation to have with you today. Well, I'm no John Eldridge. I'll just <laughs> say that right <laughs> off the bat, but, uh, you know, we all, you know, you, you kind of started, set the bar high and then now you're kind of, okay, coming back down. We're getting <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I do appreciate it. Um, it's just, uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, a little bit about me is probably more people are familiar with my wife when they see the last name. They're like, Oh, is that, is that Malena's husband? It's like, that's yeah, funny. yeah, that's me. Yeah. And, uh, so I, uh, it's kind of, have an interesting background. It's more unorthodox. Uh, I was starting off kind of down the road of Bible college, um, to be a pastor. And I just assumed, you know, going to Bible school and feeling the Lord calling me into ministry meant working in a church. And it wasn't until I applied for about half a dozen church uh, ministry positions in my last year of college that I was met with a lot of, we'll call you back or sorry, we want six years of experience in a master's. Wow. So being a barely 22 year old kid and uh, getting married in the summer and moving out on my own for the first time, I had to put on my big boy pants and, you know, thought, well, what am I going to do now? I, I need a job. Nothing's really sticking. I'm, I'm putting myself out there, but uh, nothing's coming back. And so I, uh, started looking around at some different job opportunities in the area. And at the time, and probably still, I'd imagine because it wasn't that long ago, I, uh, became a local corrections officer at a County jail and, uh, being from my background and my upbringing, this was completely foreign territory that I'd never been in before, but nonetheless, it was such a revealing time for me. It was such a, an eye-opening experience that I'm, I'm very grateful for. Taught me a lot about understanding people, uh, regardless of their background or their actions, but people are still people. And I, I, what I felt is a lot of a, an inner conflict between the, the pastor's heart and the minister's heart and me, plus also being uh, an enforcer of the jail policies and the jail rules. Right. And yeah. sometimes that care for people and care for the inmates was uh, viewed as a mistaken for weakness or for manipulation and things like that. So uh, I didn't last too long there. Um, thankful for it. I left on good terms, but felt that the Lord was calling me uh, elsewhere. So uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who's now in the 82nd airborne as a chaplain. And he said, Hey man, I know you, you went to school and, it's kind of just following up with me. What are you doing now? Kind of thing. And so, well, I'm in corrections, but, uh, not loving it and looking for what the Lord might have next. And he says, well, did you ever think about becoming a, a chaplain in the army? You know, he's army guy, So he's, he's biased, but, uh, uh, we all, we all give each other crap, you know, as, as a Marine, you understand yeah, that. He so. could have really hooked you up and sent you to the Navy, but all right. <laughs> well, I like to think of the, Marines as the army of the Navy. So that's, I'll just say that. But, <laughs> Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> but still not the army. And so uh, he, he kind of convinced me 
you know, pray about it, you know, talk to your family, talk to your mentors and, you know, see, see what the Lord might be calling you to. Uh, about a year later, I was swearing in as a butter bar second lieutenant in the, in the yeah. uh, U.S. Army Reserve <laughs> chaplain corps. And that was a really cool experience for me. Uh, I was never active, never deployed. So don't really have that experience or can't really speak to that side of it. But just kind of being immersed in the military culture. Yeah. Talking to people who are going through family struggles or even PTSD, uh, just being a, a heart for them and, and kind of a lifeline to how can I pray for you? How can I be with you? Maybe yeah. it's not so much you need a sermon, but you just need an ear to listen. Right. Right. Um, so that was how I spent some of my time just loving people, getting to know people. And, uh, at the same time, I didn't really feel called to go active, but the Lord was opening some other pretty cool doors. And, uh, at the same time, while I was finishing Bible school and going into, uh, the chaplain corps, I was still kind of looking for something full time. And that's when I threw my hat in for the secret service. And, um, about four months after I initially clicked submit on my application, I got the, the call and it was like record time. Yeah. <laughs> they just really needed to hire people. And so I spent about two years as a secret service agent, um, traveling around protecting everyone from current and former presidents and their families and all kinds of, uh, you know, hurry up and wait type situation. Yeah, no no they just said, all right, we need somebody to guard that trash can in the hallway over there. So <laughs> throw CCI out of there. But uh, no, it was a great experience. Uh, really thankful for it. And basically looking to um, serve both my country in different capacities, serve the Lord ultimately above all of that. And just being obedient and, and answering the call. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about me. And wow. uh, I get to enjoy doing a podcast with my wife. Um, I won't shamelessly plug that, but no, do uh, do man. That, Cause I, that's how I found you, man. That's perfect. But uh, yeah, we're, my wife and I do a podcast called ask for me in my house. And uh, Ray actually reached out to me on social media and said, Hey man, I'd love to have you on and talk a little bit as, as guys, as Christian men and husbands and fathers and um, having the military connection. So I said, absolutely. Um, and here I am. So I'm uh, just honored to be here and would love to have a conversation with you. I got two things that immediately stand out from all of that. And it's, it's awesome that maybe, you know, it's hard to tie it together yourself because you you're in yourself, but externally looking in almost every position that you just named off that you went from, you know, from going to school, uh, for ministry and then, you know, applying for churches, but then doing corrections and then going, uh, secret service, being in the military chaplain corps, all of those are service related, like being a server, being a servant. And then secondly, all of those were predominantly male, uh, heavy services, right? So in the corrections facility, they correct me if I'm wrong. It was all male. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, military, like we already know the, the male to female ratios is very, very unbalanced. And then also, um, in the secret service, I'm sure same thing. Yes. So man, like here you have been serving men, right. In different capacities for X amount of years. Um, so perfect guest to have on, man. I, I really, again, so thankful to, to connect with you on this one. That's uh, an interesting insight. Cause I, I didn't even think of that myself. I, I would always tend to think my, my love language or the way I like to give and receive, um, is through gifts. Right. So mm. I'm like, I, I'm the kind of guy that I get more excited about giving somebody something for their birthday than they probably are to receive it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I guess, I guess it makes sense though. We, we you know, you're right. And that yeah. I, I have been in those roles and enjoy that. So, uh, that's, that's a cool way to, to look at it. So, and then, uh, let's just, you know, tie it in even better. Cause me, me and you, you know, we were talking before, we're going to jump into James and we're going to talk about, uh, men and how they go through trials, how we need to go through trials. But this is how James starts off his epistle. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. James, a servant of God. 
Man. And so again, like tying it back into um, the last X amount of years of your life, just serving and pouring out, um, you know, thinking that you're doing one thing, but really God's doing another one in you. And all you're doing, man, is just saying yes, just serving and and being obedient. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just to segue into the conversation that we want to have today, um, I've been mentoring some guys, some young men, and like any young man, you, you're going through stuff. You're going through various trials. You're doing life and just life is slapping you in the face and you're figuring yourself out. I actually couldn't think of a time where I was more vulnerable in my life than when I was 18, 19 years old, leaving my mother's household, leaving like the security of high school and being who I was in high school and having to figure myself out all over again, then joining the Marine Corps and you know everything that comes with that. I was so vulnerable. Yeah. I was so insecure and I acted out of that. I didn't have the language for that back then. But just inherently, inherently to the age of 18 to like 26, and, and I'm kind of, you know, you can play with those numbers a little bit left and right. But from the age of you leaving your household to you figuring to you establishing your own household, and we find that that's actually happening a little bit later than even your mid 20s, mm-hmm. guys are just going through it. And so many times, going back to the guys that I'm mentoring, I tried to come in and you know, give a little bit of comfort in the area of like what they're going through and maybe like not coddle, but like, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to get over this. And really sometimes, man, I'm absolutely wrong. Right. Like actually you are going to be okay because all things work out for good. Right. But like right now with the way that you think this is going to turn out, it's just not going to, and you're going through this and I would be doing you a disservice if I continued to try to pull you away from your, from your trial, from your struggle and kind of protect you, coddle you rather than encourage you on your way and push you along on your way and just be right there alongside of you. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Actually, I fully agree. I think a lot of times uh, when you talk about servant leadership and how we as men are, Ultimately, that's that's our role, right? Whatever, whether we're in the workplace, it's our spouse, it's our children. We're serving them. We're laying our lives down, or, or at least being willing to lay our lives down for them. Uh, for our, you know, your your brothers in arms when you're serving in the ministry in the in the military, you know, you have these selfless acts and selfless efforts that you are emulating and exhibiting every day. Yet you're also leading and you're pushing forward. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about how, you know, you don't want to essentially coddle or, you know, tell, tell somebody, you know, everything's nice and fine and dandy, but Hey, I'm, I'm walking with you through this. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to rip on you or to harp on you or to pour salt on the wound. I'm here to come alongside you to, to pick you up and, you know, help shoulder this, whatever you're going through. Yeah. Uh, I think of, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, the book of Daniel, where they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And if you if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you probably know that story. But they were essentially thrown into this furnace for not bowing down to the the king of the time. And God preserved them and saved them from that, and was even present with them in that fire. And we all know the story, right? How they came out with just smelling of smoke on their clothes. Not a hair was singed on their body. And there was a fourth person in there that looked like the son of God is what actually the King's uh, right-hand man says to him. And so I, you read that story like, wow, that's such a cool story, but don't forget. And those three guys spot, they were willing to pay out, pay the price. And they knew what the consequences were. Even if God didn't save them, they said, so they're, but they're willing to go through that together and Hey, we're, we're, we're with each other, right? Like you talk about it, adversity and you talk about being put to death for your faith, right? Um, this context can be applied so much across the board as far as being with each other, bearing one another's burdens and, you know, loving on each other in a way that's not, not lovey dovey, you know, ooey gooey, but it's more of a, I'm here for you, bro. I, I care about you, whatever you need. I want to support you in that. And yeah, that's what, that's what, you know, regardless of if you know somebody or not, if your common link is Christ, Paul says like, how much more should we be 
caring for and ministering and loving those among the, the, the family of, of God. Right. So Amen. Like, this is our first time we, we've met, but I hope you, you would trust and know that I would be willing to do whatever, you know, just being my brother in the Lord. Yeah. I'd be willing to do anything that I can in my power to serve you and to care for you, even as a stranger. So, yeah, that's just part of being in the body, you know, you know, jumping into the text, gentlemen, if you head over to James one and you can just read James one uh, through verse one through 13, actually, you'll just sit there for like a week devouring what's in there. Uh, But verse two says, consider it or count it all joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, mm. Ooh, I just want to stop right there, man. Like he says a few key things right there that we can take an entire you know hour just talking about the importance of it. And I'll start with the first word there, James 1, uh, verse 2, it says count. Right. And that's like an accountant, an accounting term. Like if you're wearing word account money, you're paying attention to the value of that dollar and calling it out as it is and assessing the value of that dollar. Mm. So like, you know, gym analogy, I can assess the value of this workout in my life because, or what it's going to do for me. And because I understand the mechanisms and what it's doing for my body, I know how to execute it. And I know that I need to execute it because if you don't do legs guys, you know, what's going to happen. <laughs> I just did legs today and I'm already sore. So man, I was count. I was trying to count it joy. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you it was were. hard at like, it was hard at 0600 to, you know, be squatting, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, no, you that's better, right. you're better than most of us. Um, so yeah, man, just that, that piece of like counting it, like per, being intentional about assessing the value and saying, okay, this is, this is this value. This is the value of this. This is the worth of this. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I, I can't help but think of Hebrews 12. Uh, this is verse 11. It says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, mm. but Ugh. painful. <laughs> later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Yeah, And when we talk about this idea of being under the weight of adversity or counting our adversity, it's, it's not in this begrudging, like, Oh man, not again. Or, Oh, why me God? Or, you know, like, is there, is there no relenting of, you know, like, like always, you know, throwing yourself a pity party, but to say, you know what, this is another opportunity. I can discipline myself. So you're counting it in the way I see James applying it here, you're counting it joy, not because of the adversity you're facing, but because of the opportunity yeah. for discipline and for perseverance to then grow. And, and he then goes on to, to talk about that, but you're counting that, as you mentioned, you know, counting a workout or counting, uh, counting a, as an accountant would count change because you're realizing that there's a, necessity to this and there's a benefit on the other side of it. Exactly. And we're not joyful of, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting persecuted. Hooray. It's more of a, you know what? I'm, I'm joyful because I'm following my, I'm following the God of the universe. And regardless of what happens, he holds me in his hand. And I know Jesus said, none escape his hand. So you can be joyful even among in, in, in the midst of adversity yeah, because we have one that's greater than all the adversity and all of that the world and the flesh and the devil can throw at us. And if we're in him and we belong to him, we can still have joy because of him. Man. So good. So good. So well said, man. Um, and I, I get caught up with that next part of the verse um, where it says experiencing or, or, you know, whenever you encounter uh, trials of various kinds. Like, you'll know if you go to the gym and you do upper body, um, you know, for the next six months, you're going to have a pretty strong upper body. But when it comes time to go on a ruck <laughs> and put some weight on your back, like you're going to be weak below because you never had a variation in your training. It's like a newborn giraffe, you know, like <laughs> just wobbling just- everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was out in 
Kuwait doing a parachute operation just because we could. And uh, I was dropping some bundles and I saw a camel deliver out in the middle of my drop zone. We were worried really? about hitting it with our pallet. Yeah. How far and were you? We were probably like 200 meters away where we were like at, at, at the closest. We didn't want to get too close. And we actually saw the camel come out and like the thing, <laughs> it only wow. took maybe like six hours for it to stand up on its own. But yeah, initially like that thing's just wobbling everywhere. It was just out in the wild, given birth by itself. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a group of people that like it was its livestock. It, or no, something. man, it was out just in the open. There was, you know, some wow. people, you know, within a half mile and it was very open. You can see around. But this this one just happened to be out there alone. I don't know if it, you know, that's what they did. If they didn't keep them penned up, but it was. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, Hey, but getting back to what we're talking about here. Yeah. Like you would be weak at the knees. And so I think God would be cruel if he looked at us and was like, Hey, I'm just trying to prepare you, right? Like for this, for everything that I have for you, everything that is going to happen in your life, everything that I'm going to bestow onto you. He'd be cruel if he gave us something that we actually couldn't bear the weight of. Right. It would be like, like if I gave my son a bunch of bricks to carry, like people would call Dyfus on me because they're like, dude, that's un, you know, unusual and cruel. Um, yeah. But no, like God is so good that he's like, actually, son, you're going to be going somewhere where you couldn't even imagine. And it's a place where I know you're so obedient. You're going to choose to go in my name. Um, but right now I need you to do six months in, in the corrections facility. You're going to pick some stuff up there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a great point. And I think, you know, what you're talking about of the Lord, giving us these opportunities as I, I think of John 15, where Jesus is talking about being the vine and we as the disciples and as his followers are the branches and the father is the vine dresser. He's pruning the, the vine. And when you go to, I don't know if you've been to Israel, but places in the middle East where they're growing these olives vines or these grape vines or whatever, olives grow on trees. I don't know what I'm saying, but, uh, the grapes, you know, you, you feel the actual vine. That thing is, it's like a wooden branch, but it's solid, dude. It's mm. like, this thing is tough, but the branches themselves um, can be broken off very easily. Like they're very fragile. They're okay. the only way that they're sustained is because they're attached to that vine. And when you think of the image there in the picture of the father being the vine dresser, he's pruning the plants as he's saying, it's, this is going to hurt a little bit. You know, you're going to have to cut some stuff out. You're going to have to do a little bit of, uh, I'll put it in my context. I'm going to have to do the dishes. I'm going to have to walk the dogs. I'm going to have Ooh. to mow the lawn. You Ooh. know, <laughs> it's like these things that are necessary that, you know, you don't always like thrilled to be doing it yet. Yeah. There's, there's a reason for it. And so one thing I think is interesting about that context, and, and I think it ties in perfectly with what you're saying is, Never is the vine dresser more intimate with the branch than when he's pruning it. He's up close. He's taking out the stuff that's right up to it. That's prohibiting and limiting the growth and the potential yeah. for growth. Ooh, that's so, good. Being that it hurts and you're cut, you're actually cutting something and removing something in the pruning process. So is it when we go through some sort of adversity um, and disciplining ourselves to then yield a harvest or a greater growth. And, uh, one other analogy is a, a dear pastor friend of mine said, when you're flying on an airplane and you have all these bags and all these things are trying to bring with you, it doesn't all fit on the plane because for the altitude, God wants to take you. You can't take all the bags with all you. The baggage. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think that's a, a great way to look at it because you got to leave some stuff. You got to take some stuff. You got, uh, take some stuff off. You got to re reduce your load and be, it might hurt a little bit. It might, you know, be tough and challenging, but it's yeah. preparing you for a greater challenge down the road. Right. You know, I think it'd be easy for a guy to accept the fact that like when he's not growing or when he's not like walking in the way, you know, it, something's hurt. Um, I recently had a conversation with somebody that he's like, yeah, things just don't turn out well for me and my family when we leave the church and we're, we're out of the church for a long time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, like it's normal, I think, for people to experience that. But I think a lot of people get butt hurt. Uh, military term right there. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people get butt hurt whenever 
you're doing well, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, but then you feel like you're getting pruned and you're like, God, what's going on? I thought like, I've been doing everything right. Like I've been in your way. And it's like, no, 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 dude. I love you so much that I'm actually pruning you back to your point of fruitfulness. Right. So it's like, if you're not growing, you're going to get pruned. If you're growing, you're going to get pruned. So either way, bro, embrace the fact that you are getting close and intimate with the creator. And he is saying, Hey, I got you. I got you. So thanks for bringing that up, man. That's great. Amen. Yeah. Let's continue with the rest of the verse, man. Uh, Again, still reading. What is that? Verse two. Uh, And then no, jumping into verse three says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I mean, like, again, we could just stop there, man, and just talk for hours, but just, you know, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What's the first thing that like comes to your mind as you hear that, um, read that. I, man, talking about perseverance is something that I feel is so foreign to a lot of our culture and society on the whole today. It's, we live in this instant gratification society where we want it yesterday. And, you know, there's, I think it's been lost on a lot of people and myself included. Like I live in a glass house and can't throw stones. So, um, I'm not necessarily talking out there as much as I'm talking in here, Mm, I hear you. but something that I thought was tied in perfectly with this is actually this book I'm reading called spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. It's by a guy named Donald S Whitney. And, uh, he just talks about like what it means to be disciplined in your faith and to be persevering in that, right. They they go hand in hand. And so you discipline yourself so that you can be perseverant in the trial. And it's kind of the pre it's kind of like when you go through your, your pre-deployment training and then you're actually there and it's, it's game time. Yeah. Right. Like the, the disciplining is, is your pre-deployment and then you're actually implementing all of that when you're exactly. actually going through it. So something I wanted to share that he writes, Whitney writes here is so many professing Christians are so spiritually undisciplined that they seem to have little fruit and power in their lives. I've seen men who discipline themselves for the purpose of excelling in their profession, discipline themselves very little for the purpose of godliness. Yeah. I've seen Christians who are faithful to the church of God, who frequently demonstrate genuine enthusiasm for the things of God and who dearly love the word of God, yet trivialize the effectiveness for the kingdom of God through lack of discipline. Spiritually, they are a mile wide and an inch deep. Wow. There are no deep time-worn channels of commuting discipline between them and God. They have dabbled in everything, but discipline themselves in nothing. And wow. I, when I first read that, I was like, harsh fucker. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's me, man. Yeah. I, I, I've been called like, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, just because, you know, it's like, even just in my professional experience, you know, kind of jumping around, you don't meet a lot of chaplain secret service corrections guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's kind of unorthodox. And so I felt a lot of times being a mile wide and an inch deep right. and feeling myself not really knowing what it means to persevere. Like, Oh, I'm going to do this for a little bit. And right. As soon as I hit a wall or right, as soon as something gets tough, I'm going to, I'm going to jump out. Right. And I'm going to do this for a little bit and then I'm going to jump out. But I remember vividly one time when I was in the Academy for the secret service and going through, it was about nine months total, two different academies. And, uh, like, man, I'm homesick. I want to see my wife and my newborn and I want to be with, you know, my friends and is this really worth it? And the words, uh, the words that my dad told me right before, uh, he left or right before I left, uh, came to mind. And I recalled them and he said, anything worth doing is never easy. Mm. And that's not, you know, that's not, that's a, that's a coffee cup quote or some sort of tweet, you know, Yeah, but it's so true at the same time. And my dad's a man of like few words, but when he says something, I know to shut up and listen. And so that came back to mind. I recalled that when I was sitting there in my, my hotel room thinking like, okay, is this really worth it? And I said, if I'm, if I find that I'm in needing of perseverance or I'm hitting walls or I'm facing adversity, it's probably for a good reason because 
if something were easy, everyone would do it. If it was easy to be a Marine, everyone would be Marines. If, it, yeah. if there were no, and, the, and what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at there is the end all be all isn't well, so I could check this box or say that I did something. The, on the other side of perseverance is a reward. And I don't know yeah. exactly what that looks like. It's, it, it could be different for different things, but just like all kinds of, you know, counted a joy when you can, when you face all kinds of trials and adversities, there's all kinds of rewards on the end of those too. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's not something physical or tangible, but it's an experience. It's a way of looking at yourself. It's a way of find, like reaching into yourself and finding some sort of a intestinal fortitude and resilience to say, you know what, I can do that. You know what? I can take hold of my, my health, my fitness. There are certain things in my control that I can do. I can, I can work on my mental health. Or I can work on my, my tone and my anger and my rage and my you know temper and things like that. And if you don't actually hit the wall requiring perseverance to then scale that wall and, and climb over it, then you're probably not working towards something that, that is any, has any type of merit. Mm, that makes sense. Good. Yeah, no, 100%, man. I, I could think of all of the times that I wanted to quit you know, in the things that mattered most, right? Like mm -hmm. in the middle, Oh, you disappeared on me. Sorry about that. No, all as well. Um, yeah, no, I can think of all of the times that I wanted to quit and the things that mattered most. Like I remember being in boot camp, 18 years old, crying <laughs> for the, like <laughs> an 18 year old man crying with a 30 some year old drill instructor screaming over me, spit coming out of his mouth. He's literally foaming at the mouth as I remember him. Right. Like, and I'm just like <laughs> thinking there's something great at the end of this. And here I am a decade later, still doing this thing. Um, yeah. but man, just going back to like where you started with this, like, yeah, we, as a society, like guys, be honest. We want what we want right now. And if like generation, why can't I have it right now is what we are, right? Like that's it. And I mean, shoot, I just ordered something on Amazon at one o'clock in the morning last night. And I was pretty upset that it's going to take four days. I'm like, why am I paying for Amazon prime? You know? Yeah, one. <laughs> Wasted on the two day prime, right? Like, dude, seriously, God forbid something takes four, four or five days, you know, man, no, but, um, and again, can just continuing with the, with your lines of uh, of thought here, you know, our values determine our evaluation. So if you value comfort, then of course, like whatever you're going through is going to suck. And like, if you value comfort more than you do character development, then your trials are going to upset you. They're going to piss you off and they're going to be a waste of your time rather than you being in it and being like, okay, no, 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 there's a value here. Something is coming. Something else is, is, is going to be developed in me. Um, Yes. And, I need, and I need this. Right. But like, Absolutely. I'll be fair. I'll be fair. And I'll say like in the middle of it, guys, we 100% lose our minds. We do. And, and like in the middle of it, what I'm saying is like in the middle of like proverbial firefight in your mind, like everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Like you are losing it. And now you're in flight or fight mode. And you're not thinking of like what is written right here in the word of God. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not to give you an excuse, but it's just to point you to the fact that like, no, you've been given a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind in the middle of chaos. Right. Um, so shifting to the fact that I can actually turn this trial for my own good, just based on how I'm thinking about it, how I'm evaluating it, how I'm how I'm thinking of what is coming out in the back end. That redefines my entire approach. That redefines my entire uh, attitude towards it, right? Because we didn't even talk about the fact that this whole thing says consider it all joy, right? We can go on forever, but I going back to that discipline piece that you what you read before and what you were saying. Gosh, if you can sum up the book of James, it would be you know calling the church out to maturity, showing you the way of a mature Christian, a mature mm -hmm. Christian who is disciplined, right? And that word, no, like know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Well, that only comes because you know your word, you know the Bible uh, and you are disciplined enough to apply that thing into your life in all areas of your life. Um, mm -hmm. But you have, can you tell me a time, man, where like you were undisciplined in your approach, um, undisciplined in your uh, dealings, daily life, you know, uh, friend, husband, whatever, um, 
where this thing didn't turn out well for you because you didn't uh, hold on to the to perseverance? Yeah, actually, I was in the process with a local police department when I before I got on it with the corrections gig, and it was to be kind of like at the. I wasn't old enough to be on the road, but they had kind of what was called a, a service aid, police service aid. It was kind of like glorified dispatch. Okay. And this was a couple of years prior to, to being in corrections, but essentially I passed this, it was a written test. And then the next step was a, an interview, like a panel interview with, you know, the captain and a sergeant and a lieutenant. And I struggle, which is probably surprising, but I struggle a lot with being time oriented. I'm the most event oriented person you'll ever meet. I'm the kind of person I will, <laughs> I still have it on, but I will, I will take off my watch and throw it away if I'm just sitting talking with somebody. Cause yeah. I don't want any, I want to give them my focus and my time. And I, I'm, I don't want to just be constantly looking at the clock and like, Oh crap. Like, and I have people in my life that are very anal about time and it kind of irks me at, but military secret service, law enforcement, anything like that. My wife, <laughs> time <laughs> is a, being time oriented is just something I've always had a struggle with. So yeah, here I am. Like I got there super early to the, it's kind of a funny story, but lesson in it after like, 30 minutes early. I'm like, all right, this is plenty early to me. And, uh, there's the old adage where, you know, if the, uh, the E E five tells you the, you know, formation at Oh, 500, then, uh, or sorry, ca captain tells you Oh, 500, then the lieutenant's going to tell you Oh, four, four, five, and then so on and so forth. It's basically get, everyone gets there like three hours early just exactly. to make sure, you know what I mean? It's kind of one of those things. So I'm like, Oh yeah. This I'm is yeah. yeah. So then, uh, I get there and I don't know what I had to eat that day, but my stomach just started turning and knots. And I was in the bathroom for the next 25 minutes. And I'm like, son of a gun, I am not going to make this interview. I'm like, uh, I, was, I started thinking that I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And we'll leave out the uh, too much information, but basically I got there I want to say 30 seconds after my interview time and they, they like the, the, uh, the brass was walking out of the room and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Jordan. I'm here for the interview. Oh, sorry, man. It's uh three o'clock and 30 seconds. Like he literally, I thought he was kidding with me. And I was like, Oh, and it, it was just my, my, my stomach kind of dropped uh, for another reason. And I was kind of like, man, this, this sucks. And at that moment, Ray, I wanted to find every single excuse of like, oh, wasn't there, you know, they're wrong to treat me this way, or it's not my fault or this or that and the other thing. But at the end of the day, I just had to swallow hard and be like, man, sometimes things happen and they are out of our control. And sometimes they are within our control. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the best illustration of lacking of discipline, but I could tell you there have been times in my life where I have been in that, in that situation, like whether I'm grossly underestimating something or I'm just not preparing myself the way I should be. And then mm -hmm. it shows at the end, right? Like you can't cheat a deadlift, you either lift it or not. And I yeah. never competed in powerlifting, but I know I have a lot of friends that do and they're like, yeah, you can tell yeah. when, when people from six months ago or from three months ago, like you could tell if, if they were putting in the work that they should have been or not, or if they were really, you know, waking up when they needed to or not. And it just comes to, it comes down, I think to the day in and the day out that nobody sees. Yeah. And it sounds cliche to say it. Right. But there's a lot of truth in the cliches. I think that's why they're cliche when you're not getting the glory, you're not getting the praise, you're not getting the recognition. And it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to be like, nobody sees, nobody cares. I could take off, you know, I, I don't need to do this right now. I can, I could do that later. I can study more later, but man, it comes back with a vengeance if, if we're not disciplined. So 100% uh, man. 
even though I was in the bathroom during that interview, even though you did was, make it on time, you know, <laughs> there was, you know, there was what I'm, what my point is I could point to a hundred different external factors and not actually look at what could I do, you know, yeah. or, or maybe the Lord has other things in mind. Right. So that's true. Bottom that's line true. is being, being disciplined in that will save you from uh, suffering. Yeah. <laughs> suffering yeah, and discipline is greater than, or is, is not as bad as the suffering for lacking of discipline. If I can yeah. put it bottom line. No, so well said. I mean, even just in being disciplined on how you walk away from that encounter, right? Do you walk away a pissed off 13 year old boy in a 20 something year old man's body? Or do you walk away with your head held high and you're like, Hey, that happened. But like, I'm not going to let the external affect who I am. Right. And even in that right there, man, there's so much character development for the guys that have been dedicated enough to make it this far into the conversation. I'll share a story that I have not uh, found a time to share yet. And um, I really don't know all the details that I want to share yet, uh, but it does involve me being a lieutenant in the Marine Corps and having my rights read to me by two captains and what that feels like. Um, and this is this right here goes into the discipline piece and the perseverance piece and the trials piece. So the infamous land navigational course um, abroad, <laughs> uh, aboard uh, Camp Barrett or Quantico, Virginia, takes you seven hours to find 10 points. And I'm not kidding. I, I, I did more than 25 clicks going from one corner to the other corner through the woods. It's not like there's like nice little paths that you take. Like, no, you're cutting through woods, you're shooting azimuths and you're trying to find your, these little red boxes. Uh, failure number one on my part is I'm red color deficient. So you try to put a red box in the middle of the woods and unless I'm right on top of it, I'm not going to see it. So uh, yeah, that's number one. But no, so I get to the point where I'm, I'm doing awesome, man. And I'm finding one point, I'm finding the next point. I get to point number six. And I need to find, I need to find, it's 10 points out there. I need to find eight to pass, find six points. And I have like two hours left. I'm like, Hey, I could do this. And I got to be back in time. So it's not just finding the points. You got to be start and stop at the same place. So I'm just going through the woods. I can't find it. I go back to the same place, shoot another azimuth, which, which means I get to one point. I look at my compass and I'm like, okay, I know because of my map reading, I'm at this point. I just need to walk that way 320 degrees for 500 meters. And hopefully I hit it. I didn't find it. Go back to that point again, reassess. I'm like trying to find a better point to shoot from. Uh, so maybe like a more prominent feature that I know, like, okay, this hill is right here on my map. And I couldn't. So I'm now I'm a frantic man. Again, this is the piece of like when everything like, you know, shit, shit hits the fan for lack of better terms. Like you are in fight or flight and I'm literally halfway in tears. Uh, and I'll explain why in a second. And I'm just like, God, please, please. And I feel like if I just like beg enough, God is going to help me. But like God has been helping me this whole time. Right. It's just, it's now my skills that need to come in. And they've been sharp the entire time, but I'm just like, God, please, please, please. I'm sitting at number eight in class ranking out of 300 students. If I stay where I'm at, which means I need to pass this event. If I stay where I'm at, I can get the MOS, the job that I have been longing for, that I've been working five months to get. And I have one more month until graduation. If I don't, I will fail. This event counts for like 20% of my grade. This will drop me further back on. And that means that somebody else takes the competitive job that I wanted. I'm sitting at number eight, right? So I'm less than 5%. I'm like top 4% of this entire class. And then that's when pressure sets in. And I'm just like, I need to find it. I need to find it. I need to find it. Guys, I didn't find it. And I'm not kidding. I walked out of the woods with this awareness from the enemy that said, um, you know, people who have your card because you know, you're going from point to point. You kind of run into people. You're like, I seen you at two other points. Maybe we have the same card, even though there's like over 150 cards out there, just luck of the draw. You can end up with the same cards as some other guys. And I'm like, I know some people who have my card. And, you know, we kind of have like a long walk back and I verbally said, I will choose to be a man of honor verbally in the middle of the woods by myself. I said, I will choose to be a man of honor. And then I said, I, I let it go. And I chose my character. 
I chose it. I was like, and then I started to sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? I'm walking out of the woods. I'm not supposed to be talking, but I'm singing to myself. As soon as I come out of the tree line onto a prominent road, that's going to lead me back to my starting point. I see two guys who I know had my cards. And I'm still trying to hold on to the fact that I am going to maintain all character. They asked me if I wanted to know one of the points that I was missing. We're not supposed to be talking, but I said, no, I'm good. We keep walking. And then I get in line. I know I'm going to turn in a failing card, but the instructor says, don't turn in any blanks. Just guess it. We had somebody guess it and they got it. Just go ahead and guess something. I bend over, tie my shoes. I see the guy right in front of me. And I see one of the numbers for the boxes. And I'm like, well, now I know what it is. And now I know the box that I'm missing, right? Uh, At this point, like I had just, you know, I needed two. I I figured out two of them, whatever. And I put it in. I turned it in. 80% pass. At that moment, I fell asleep. I was so exhausted mentally. And physically, all I could do is just fall asleep. Our bus broke down, you know, long story, whatever. I was just asleep for a couple hours. I wake up from this slumber and I realize, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Call my wife. I'm on my way home. I told her what happened. I get home. I tell my son, my five-year-old son, I'm like, son, this is what I did. What do you think I should do? I told him I cheated. I looked at somebody else's paper and I cheated. My son looks at me in the face. He's like, dad, why did you do that? You know, we don't cheat in our family. He's like, you need to tell your teacher. And I'm like, you're right, son. I get on the mic with my, my instructor who tells me, hey, yeah, thanks for letting me know. We'll just have you do it again next weekend. Thanks for being honest. Yada, yada, yada. Like, mind you, I'm coming forward about something that I did. There's a lot of grace there because there's people who go out there with like GPS watches and hide it and like just completely cheat. Um, I mean, so did I, I guess, in, in the way that I did. But, you know, comes Monday and I think everything's good until there's like rumors that like somebody cheated, you know, um, a lot, actually a lot of people cheated Mm -hmm. long story short though. It had nothing to do with me, these rumors and all of this stuff, but I came forward. I pulled my classmates who all just finished ranking me number one in my platoon. They just finished doing that. Like the day before we had to do class rankings and I had to tell them, look at them in the face and say, I cheated on land nav. This is what I did. This is what happened. Anyways, Come back. Uh, I thought it was all done. You know, my instructor said, thanks. We'll just do it again next weekend. No, it wasn't that easy, right? Like other people were getting caught for cheating and because they were being turned in by other people. So now my case that I turned myself in now turns into something. It turns into an investigation. And I am now a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, nine years in, having like pushed this far along to try to like make this a career. And I'm having my rights being read to me. And I'm just like, God, where are you? And it's so hard for guys to know times where like they feel depressed. Like sometimes we have this disconnect with our emotions and our feelings, but like, I knew I was depressed. I fell into a state of depression, just like literally trying to finish out this course. But I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to get kicked out of the military now because it's happened before for the same event. It's a very, it's a very important event. I'm obviously still here. I'm about to hit my 10 year mark like next month. And I had a captain who was willing to stand in front of a colonel and fight for me and explain my character and explain who I was. But no matter how many times my classmates ranked me number one and talked about my character, no matter how much this instructor and I could talk about my character, I had one failure, one character flaw right there where it mattered most, where I said I chose, I was going to choose what I was going to do. And still in the middle of person, in the middle of um, that trial, I I really, I failed, you Mm -hmm. know? And man, I'm still trying to piece together what God was doing there. I know there was a little bit of discipline, a little slap in the butt, honestly. Um, remembering like, hey, you got to finish it all the way through. It's like it's like getting it in your head that you're going to do 10 squats and you get to nine. And for some reason, tell me this isn't true. Like when you get to nine, you're like <sighs> struggling because you know you're about to be done at 10, right? But if you well, said it's nine mind- more than I would have done, I don't exactly. need to do 10. <laughs> What's one more? Exactly. Huh. Man. Um, so dude, tell me what comes to your mind as I tell that story. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I think bottom line, um, when we're confronted, whether it's from externally or internally with 
something we did wrong or, or dishonest or a breach of our integrity. The externals like, oh, everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's like putting a bandaid on cancer in a way because just because everybody else was doing it right. If something's wrong, it would be wrong regardless of, yeah, you know, who's, who's doing it or who isn't. Right. And so for me, when I hear you talking about, you know, this is, I had to come forward. It's something so simple. Like, I think that's why the Bible tells us to have childlike faith. When you talk to your five-year-old son and like, you know, he knew right away without hesitation, you know? Yeah. And I think as we, grow and and age and live in this world and the innocence that we once knew at five years old slowly gets stripped from us or quickly gets taken from us. We start to kind of blur these lines and make all these justifications and, Oh man, look like I was already number eight. You know, I was, I was killing it. Like what's this one little thing? Are they really going to make a big deal? You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of these justifications can go on in our minds. And I think, uh, what really matters is that you had the you, you had the decency and the and the character to confess that. And so I was just trying to think, put myself in your shoes uh, as you're telling the story. Like, man, what would I do, or what would I hope to do? I think we all have that, you know, textbook answer of yeah, I'd I'd love to do this or. Yeah. If if I was put in a situation, like I think about that all the time, right? Like if you're whatever the situation might be, like you kind of play it out in your mind of how, how I would want to act. But when you're actually placed there and you're in that position, everything could be different, right? You explained your MOS, your, your whole career, the future of your, your military uh, experience. This is all on the line in this one event, right? That was such a weight. And we start to, you know, move those goalposts. We start to justify things. We start to, you know, whether it's, whether it's our own flesh or whether it's the devil, like, Oh yeah. You know, you can fudge this a little bit. Yeah. Just as you're bending down to tie your shoe, you know, like, like what's one little peak, you know? Yeah. But in those times are our characters really solidified. And so for me, the, the most haunting question of my life is, who am I when nobody's watching? Ooh, yeah. Who am I? Who am I? In, when, when I turn this zoom off with you and I go about my day, I'm scrolling on Instagram. I'm watching TV. I'm whatever. Who am I? What's going through my mind? What, what, what are my thoughts? What are my actions? What are my words to my wife and to my kids? And how am I handling conflict and, and, and things like that? That's really who I am. Mm. Not in a, 45 minute hour conversation, uh, you know, that's, that's being recorded. And so in those times of adversity and those times where we're, we're going through a, a trial or something like that, that's an opportunity for us to resolve who we are and to really make a stand. And so while we might fail in the moment, failure is never final. And so the, the, the big takeaway from your experience is you said, you know what, I'm not going to be defined by being, you know, cheating on this. I'm not going to be defined by being dishonest. I'm going to be defined by my honesty and my integrity. And just like some, someone like King David, who committed some heinous, wicked acts, was still known as a man after God's own heart for his repentant, humble and contrite spirit. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's so much to, to learn and so much to be encouraged by that. And uh, yeah, I think, I think you did the right thing. Thanks, man. Yeah. You know, sometimes as I'm looking at my life right now, the job that I have, where I am, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I'm glad that this is working out for good, but what would have happened, right? Like just because of my entire little blunder there, I went from number eight in the class to three. That's how big it was. And it's wow. funny because had I just failed, I would have probably only moved to like number 16 or like, you know, maybe the most 20. But because of yeah. what happened, my, you know, quote unquote, like repercussion was my leadership grade, which was at a hundred was dropped. Um, and that, that's mm-hmm. really where it came in and just bit me in the butt, man. Um, I don't regret it, uh, you know, doing what I did, like in terms of coming forward. And I think if anything, yeah. it gave me authority 
I've had conversations with men since then where they have a hard time in doing the right thing. And I'm like, Oh, you think that doing the right thing shouldn't cost you anything? Like, no, it's, it's going to cost you something, dude. And and it might cost you everything. That's the sucky thing. So yeah, man, just to like summarize um, a lot of what we're talking about here, like consider it all joy when you can, when you encounter trials of various kinds, why? Because the testing of your faith that happens during those trials creates or brings about perseverance. And I just did a little word study, just kind of diving into in the Greek, like, what does that mean? And as you break down the word that they use there for perseverance, you can break it down into two parts. One of them is under and remain or to endure. So it is to remain under, remain under what? Remain under the weight right? So the ability for you to persevere, it is your ability to remain under whatever thing is placed on you, whatever pressure, whatever weight. So it's like, you know, going back, we started with the gym analogy ending with one. You're sitting there underneath a, uh, a bench, right? You're, you're benching chest. The only way to get stronger is to add more weight. And people say, oh man, that guy's ripped. Why is he ripped? No, literally we get that because your muscles are ripping. And then the soreness that you feel is your muscles ripping. So then there goes the restoration process, right? And now you have a stronger muscle that now can bear and remain under more weight. So count it all joy, dude, you're getting strong, right? Like you are, you are training. Uh, There was a pastor who said, you know, we actually misunderstand the on season and the off season for the NBA, NFL, you know, any, any major league I'll say for wrestling, I I was a wrestler, like the off season for wrestling was when I was wrestling in tournaments and in matches, they say, well, Uh that's the, that's the on season. No, 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 no. I am the product who I am in the middle of a match is a result of what I did in my on season, my real on season, which was the training and how much I prepared to remain under. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Your thoughts, I totally, totally agree. And that's that, that picture of the iceberg and you can see underwater the 90% of it. And all you see is a little, little bit sticking out on the surface. It's like, no, the, the real work, the real stuff is below the surface. It's what you don't see. It's the off season. It's, it's what's, you know, not revealed until the end. And I think when you talk about being under and remaining under an adverse situation or in some sort of trial, we think of perseverance of like, Oh, I just need to get through to the other side, or I just need to get to the other end of this adversity. But really, as the Greek would suggest, you're actually talking about not so much getting to the other side or being delivered from the adversity, but how do I, how do I remain under and how do I navigate in the midst of this? It's not so much a hurry to get out. How do I negotiate being under this tension, being under the stress, being under this trial and seeing the Lord at work in it. And I think that's again, back to the vine dresser and the, the being pruned, that those scenarios and those situations of, you know, being, being intimate with the Lord and being very close and him being drawn closer to you in those times, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people will say like a a missionary friend of mine actually told me this story. He said he went through a part of the world that I will talk about, but he very hostile towards the gospel and he said when he was almost daily would be in fear for his life. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of today on this earth, but so be it. I'll be with my Lord kind of, kind of attitude. And by the way, on a side note, I hope I, I wish I had that, that, you know, canter and that demeanor, but um, I strive to, and I, I desire that, but I don't know if I do at this moment, <laughs> just being yeah. honest. And so he told me that, him and a a group of other believers that he was ministering to illegally underground in secret. There were a couple scenarios um, right before he was actually scheduled to come back home for a a time where they were like, for sure they're, they're going to die and it's not going to be a quick death because of this. And he said when he came back that God had showed up in ways, you know, we could only imagine 
And he said, they were so in fear and so uncertain of what they were going to face yet. They almost in a, in a strange way that we can't really wrap our minds around almost desired to be back in that scenario for one reason is because of feeling the presence of the Lord stronger than they had ever had in that time. So just as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are in the furnace and the Lord is there with them, just like being in some sort of, you know, insane persecution and and fear for your life as as for preaching the gospel. When you're in those times of adversity, I encourage you, I, I encourage anyone listening, look for the Lord's hand in those things. Look how he will bring you not just through to the other end, but be helping you under the weight of that adversity too.